No, it's the same shirt as always. I'm just wearing it inside out. Whoa. Hey, welcome back to <laughs> River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. We're very excited having read the clue in the jewel box. Where there is, in fact, a clue. But there isn't a jewel box. It, it sort of. We're here to talk today about our favorite... Fairy boating. Rock throwing. Roller coaster riding. Fashion model, Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew. And oh, what a model she is. So the plots we have today are Anastasia. Right. Primarily Anastasia. Yep. Uh, we also have Carson Drew's birthday, which was originally a plot in the original Moss Covered Mansion. Yeah, they moved it back because it really is an Anastasia plot. Well, it was the wrong month, too. Oh, yeah. They recalculated the stars. Right. Did you know Carson <laughs> Drew wasn't really born on December 25th? Some other things we're very concerned about are that, uh, I don't know about you, but my enamel keeps breaking. Yeah. Uh, I heard one. I heard once upon a time they had a recipe for unbreakable enamel, but now it's um, lost forever. And then they had it again, but now it's lost forever. Man, if Nancy recovered that, she'd really be helping out technology. Uh, you know what I'm worried about is the rise in petty crime in river heights oh my gosh i was on the docks yesterday mm -hmm. and my pocketbook missing i was uh walking uh you know i have a dog walking job and when i got home i was like all the i picked up all the poops and they were gone <gasps> so i feel like i actually that was good for me yeah that worked out well my pocketbook it had everything i had my birth certificate I had my client's notes. Uh, I had... Yeah, 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 you're fine. Whatever. Donations to like five charities. All right, all right. Stop bragging. <laughs> we start this book with Nancy looking for something original and unusual for her father's birthday. For the man who has everything. She will not find that in this plot. In her search, she finds not an unusual gift, but a mystery. For she sights a woman, and the pallor of her creamy skin held the girl's attention. Obviously, the woman is ill. <laughs> yep, that's so how I feel when I see a white yeah, woman. She's a sick lady. <laughs> Especially an old one. <laughs> so, so Nancy's like, hey lady, are you alright? And the woman just falls over on her and says, take me home. Please take me home. In a slight foreign accent. Take me home. <laughs> this lady is Madame Alexandra. She fled her country during the revolution there. We find out later, actually, she was a queen. But she's far too modest to let people know. Well, also, I think it's this big point that the book is trying to make that the acceptable immigrant, and we've talked about this before, is one that leaves their country behind. Now they are American, and she knows there is no royalty in America. That's so fascinating. Because later when she talks to someone from her country, I mentioned to you how silly it was that they excitedly talked in their foreign tongue about their country. They said, we have much to discuss. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is it about a country that you just sit and discuss excitedly? Like, oh, do you remember Don's on Fifth Street? Like, oh, that was great. But I guess if it's not part of your life anymore, if it is a thing that is secreted away, it becomes a thing to share. Well, also, Madame escaped during a revolution. 
revolution. And Catherine stayed. So Catherine can tell Madame what has changed in what was once her country. You're talking about royalty running from the people during a revolution. And we're just treating that like that's Mm. not a problem. Because it's the plot to Anastasia. Why were the people revolting? Sounds like you weren't doing a good job, Queen. Carl, she was a woman. It's not like she had any real control. Fair enough. I thought it was actually pretty refreshing to hear Nancy and Helen defer to these ladies being like, hey, we're going to speak in our own language. And there was no judgment on their part. It was just like, oh, yeah, of course that makes sense to go from that to middle class white women 20 to 30 years later, shunning people who talk in their foreign language in front of them. Now, of course, talking in, I assume, Russian or something adjacent to that foreign is unfortunately still considered different than uh, speaking in some Asian language to each other. Mm. Another complicated form of racism. <laughs> but is it so complicated? We forgot to mention that Bess and George were even on this trip. Bess and George are, again, for the second book in a row, hardly featured. Background as background can be. These women try to get a lunch date with their friend, show up and have to help her with this old lady. Okay, fine. They all pile into the taxi to go to Miss Alexandra's. But as usual for the beginning of a mystery, (laughs) Madame's purse spills to the floor. And Nancy, while picking up the woman's things, doesn't really look through them. (laughs) Can't help but notice. Can't help but notice a gold-framed miniature photograph of a little boy in a sailor suit. Which is, um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty weird thing. I guess I'd notice that. (laughs) Well, I feel like seeing somebody keep a picture of their son in their purse is one thing but for it to be in a gold in a golden frame and she said she flipped it over and there were like locks of hair in the frame and like rose petals i think so it's a pretty unique piece it it borders on creepy luckily (laughs) we find it's not creepy at all but in fact a picture of her long lost grandson we also at madame's house get to meet anna who is madame's hannah (laughs) Anna the Hannah. She's unusually capable, loving, and Madame later refers to her as like her richest jewel. So they figure out that Madame Alexandra must be pretty hot stuff originally because she owns a lot of really nice stuff. Yes, a house packed with treasures. And they are particularly, and all three of them, Bess, George, Nancy, are enthralled by an Easter egg. You know, a decorated gold leaf something or another. Yeah. Right? You've seen these? Maybe Fabergé or what, whatever that word is. Fabergé. Bougie as fuck. Bougie Easter egg. So the birthday plot continues and Nancy expresses how much trouble she's having finding a birthday present for her dad. Ah, says Madame Alexandra. I'm gonna hook you up. You Ubered me home when I was <laughs> dying at the department store. Let me get you to an antique dealer. <laughs> Now, Nancy had been considering earlier getting her father a a jewelry case, but it was far too pedestrian at the department store. It was a reproduction, not original. So uh, the madame says, this this fella, Faber, Mm -hmm. Faber, the the antique dealer, uh, he's going to be a, he'll he'll be a guy for you. He'll be a a touchstone. Tell him I sent you. Yeah. And he does become kind of a, a Nan- one of the Nancy Drew clue partners. He helps solve all the mysteries. He's like surprised. Like I started thinking about it afterwards. And I'm like, oh, he's 
involved in every plot here. His father used to make things for Madame's father. Ooh, the king? <laughs> the, I assume. <laughs> I don't know how these things work. Uh, <laughs> Poor Bess and George had squeezed in a lunch date with Nancy. Nancy instead was like, let's rescue this lady. Okay, fine, I guess. Let's chat with this lady. All right, if we must. So now Bess and George are seriously hungry. Bess says, right now, I'll take my eggs in omelet form without gold trimmings. Referring to that Easter egg. Well done, Bess. <laughs> and Nancy says, oh, that appetite of yours. Yeah, that appetite that sometimes likes to eat lunch around lunchtime. Yeah, that one, Nancy. But before poor Bess can get lunch... Nancy spots a crime. Oh no. As we said, there's been a rise in petty crime. There's yelling from a group of people as two men prepare to go fisticuffs with one another. <gasps> oh my. Uh, Nancy arrives to, I don't know, try to help, try to rubberneck. Mm-hmm. The police break up the fight. One of the men is accusing the other of pickpocketing him. Nancy, everyone to help, says, well, I did see a guy run off <laughs> who looks like this guy who's being accused. Maybe that's what's going on. In fact, he dropped a wallet. At the sound of a whistle. Nancy retrieves it. Manages to uh, use her photographic memory to good effect. Getting half of the man's business card into her brain. She... <laughs> Gives the wallet to the man who lost it, Francis Baum, and uh, and clears the name of the man who wasn't the pickpocket. So finally, Bess and George say, okay, lunch now. Bess is like, there's a hamburger stand. And Nancy's like, no. Not I- so. I would like to search the area. Oh, yes. Where the man dropped the wallet to see if he dropped additional things. Yes. Really mystery thirsty at this point. <laughs> she finds a picture in the alley of the same sailor suit boy that she had seen in the madame's purse. The same boy she had told the madame she would find. So this must be from the wallet of Francis Baum. Is he the missing grandson? Or does he have some information? Either way, we're not getting lunch. So finally, Bess and George are just like, no, we're going to this hamburger stand. And Nancy's like, "Mm, I'm going to go antiquing. And it just feels like she is not prioritizing her friendship because it wasn't just about eating. Like they were supposed to have lunch together. Like you can wait to go antiquing long enough to go get a burger with your friends. Not if there might be a mystery. Okay. So a moment I appreciated. Nancy, do you suppose she's related to Francis Baum upon seeing the photograph, right? Mm -hmm. And Bess basically is like, who cares? <laughs> I'm going to the hamburger stand. <laughs> One thing we find out when Nancy talks to Mr. Faber is that the sailor boy looks nothing like Francis Baum. First of all, the sailor boy is very fair. Mm-hmm. And second of all, Francis Baum is tall and has a dark complexion. I'm also taller than my childhood self. Well, and one has to wonder what dark complexion means because if he were in fact not white, I feel like no Nobody would have bought that he was who he said he was. Dark complexion. Do you just get sun? Is it just that royalty shouldn't be suntanned? Exactly. Because they even talk about Ned being tanned later. Like, that's okay. Nancy promises Mr. Faber as well that she will find the sailor boy. <laughs> I love that Mr. Faber says to her, oh, you'll be well rewarded if you find her grandson. And Nancy says, oh, I don't want a reward. I'll just do it for fun. And to help Miss Alexandra. The helpfulness is 
always attack on. Hannah called it right. Like, okay, Nancy, I know you want to help someone, but you're really doing it for the fun. Mr. Faber says if she's interested in mysteries, <laughs> she should ask Miss Alexandra to see the inside of her egg, if you know what I mean. Nancy says, oh man, I do not know her well enough to ask that sort of question. Ah, says Mr. Faber, if you find her grandson, you can ask for anything. Like, there's such a jump in level. Mm-hmm. If I could ask for anything from a former queen, I don't know if seeing the inside of her egg is what I'd be asking for. <laughs> like, isn't there somewhere between I don't know her as a friend and I can have anything I want? Nancy goes on a wild goose chase. She can't find Francis Baum, nor can she find the pickpocket. Finally, she is, quote unquote, forced to stop and eat. So she stops at a snack bar, eats a toasted cheese sandwich. Meal of the book. Yes. It really is. There wasn't it, much else. No. Until she sees either the thief or she asks herself, is it the man who looked like the thief? Go on to a ferry boat. Nancy must really have nothing planned for the day. She chases this man who might or might not be the thief onto the ferry boat. What happens next is, of course, it's time for the storm of the book. Because if you get on a boat. And you're Nancy Drew. Even if it's a ferry boat. It's going to be a storm. <laughs> Uh, Nancy is so busy looking for the pickpocket, she doesn't get into the cabin to, to get out of the rain. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that was, of course, the right choice because the fairy now crashes into the log of the book, which is another fairy, and everybody in the cabin gets trapped in there. I honestly question the safety of the River Heights <laughs> ferry boat system. I won't go on them. If a storm that immediately arrives can cause you to just crash into other boats. Exactly. How many ferries do we have going out there? Well, and let's be honest, it storms all the time here. If you don't like the weather in River Heights, <laughs> just wait five minutes for Nancy to get off the boat. Exactly. Or to have a picnic. <laughs> Several women screamed, children were crying. The deckhand screams, keep cool, trying to divert their small minds from the panic. And uh, Nancy helps him out. Keep cool, he said, keep cool. She finally gets off the ferry. Having lost the pickpocket. I mean, luckily it doesn't sink. This time. Our ferries are stronger than our bridges. Nancy tells <laughs> the police, the pickpocket is about 30. Again, weirdly act like she can tell ages. Step right up, let Nancy Drew guess your age. <laughs> Media height has brown hair and walks with short quick steps that becomes his signature thing did he walk with short quick steps <laughs> i don't know what that looks like exactly but it is the funniest idea this guy had a very distinctive walk it's just like i can't i'm imagining this pickpocketer walking up on people like <laughs> so as the rain continues to pour nancy arrives home soaking wet <laughs> Hannah's like, won't you ever learn to carry an umbrella? (laughs) Nancy says, never. (laughs) Big rebellious statement of the book. Hannah's like muttering under her breath about all the water she has to clean off the floor. (laughs) And Nancy's like, I'm an independent girl. (laughs) Slosh, 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 slosh. Just forgetful. Carson gets home and he is not happy. He's not his usual chipper self. What happened, daddy? He got his wallet stolen. It's a freaking epidemic. Could there be a connection? In his wallet were important client stuff. He just keeps saying papers. How big is this man's wallet? And there was a large sum of money 
he meant to donate to the River Heights Boys Club. They very specifically make it clear that it's not his money. If it was just his money... Whatever. He's whatever. He's, he's loaded. He, he would take it in dignity, but it was donation. I guess he went around to all his little secretaries and really pressured them into donating to the River Heights Boys Club and then got it stolen. After expressing their dismay over the state of crime in River Heights, Carson says, let's talk about something nicer, like the picnic. What picnic? Nancy is taken by surprise because I guess Hannah was supposed to tell her about it. Don't you know, Nancy? The father-daughter picnic. You know, the one some of my colleagues... Threw together? Yeah. As we said, the weather changes quickly. And just in time for the picnic, not only does the rain stop, but the sun goes into overdrive. (laughs) Yes. And it's a lovely picnic. Although, while victory crowned the effort of the Druze in several contests, they did lose a race. Yeah, but... To the judge and his daughter. Yeah, but to the judge. Yeah, I mean, he's a whole-ass judge. I'm pretty sure Carson fixed that race. In the the effort to uh, win, the judge drops and breaks his daughter's enamel compact. This is when enamel becomes, uh, like, a big part of our plot. The judge (laughs) says, why can't our girls have pockets large enough for their beauty gadgets? But Carson has a different solution than just giving women decently sized pockets. What we need, says Carson, is enamel that's unbreakable. Oh yeah, that's a much better solution. I like the idea of Carson just like, whenever someone has a problem, just being like, this is what it should be, right? Because it could have been anything. What we need is pockets that things can't fall out of. (laughs) What we need is beauty gadgets that float through the air. (laughs) Yeah, something fantastic. Just unbreakable (laughs) enamel. That's what we need. Anything. But bigger pockets for women. Carson, Carson, slow down. You're getting overexcited. Beauty that puts itself on your face is what we need. <laughs> Girls who who have tattoos of beauty and... and uh, Carson, Carson, sorry, sorry. He's, he's just trying to impress the judge. The thing is... The judge knows a lot about enamel. <laughs> he says, oh, well, once upon a time, in ancient Egypt, they had unbreakable enamel, but we forgot how to do it. And then... We remembered again. And in, in some foreign land, they had it. I'm not going to say where. <laughs> but they had it. But it, the that recipe was also lost. And now we can't remember how much cornstarch to use. <laughs> like, what is this formula? It's fine. Can Nancy solve this case? Honestly, when when the mystery of history's lost and forgotten technologies came up, I didn't expect that to be one of the ones solved by Nancy, but here we are. <laughs> Bess and George are on the phone with Nancy. Now that they all know that Madame Alexandra is a queen, they're like, oh no, how do we act around a queen? And Mrs. Cruin, I love Mrs. Cruin so much. She's just like, act naturally (laughs) hannah is just a really delightful side character in this because she doesn't do a lot but she just drops in with just the most clear and obvious solutions and advice about things they go over to see madame alexander they've been invited for tea and bass right away says to her is that why no one addresses you as your majesty mrs alexandra it's customary isn't it madame says in my country yes 
When I came to your shores, I decided to adopt the customs here. Again, she's the right kind of immigrant. It's such a weird thing to say because the customs of not calling you your majesty? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I know we don't have a queen, but like... To be clear, if I was back in my native country, they would probably behead me versus saying your majesty. So I, I consider this a win. Well, Nancy, obviously, this whole time is preoccupied with the only mystery she can solve at the moment. What's in that egg? Like, she longed, says the book, to hear the secret, yet hesitated to make the request. It is a big question for someone you hardly know. Madame is painted to be such a good hostess. She can practically read Nancy's mind. And Nancy was probably staring really hard at this just Easter salivating. egg. And Mrs. Alexander is just like, yeah, let me show you a little secret. Madame Alexandra pops the egg open and inside was a nightingale on a bejeweled tree and it sang. It is very fantastical. Now, later we find from Faber that when his father made this egg, he doesn't remember it having a music box. It didn't sing at the time. But Miss Alexandra says it must have sang the whole time. I mean, it would be weird if there was some sort of mystery involving someone adding a music box to this egg. Bess feels like she's dreaming as she watches the nightingale sing its beautiful song. Nancy points out that it does not sing that well. To be clear, they do this when they're walking away. <laughs> she has enough tact not to tell Mrs. Alexandra, which the book makes clear. It's so funny, though, because she... It, it's just a it's a weird sticking point oh what a beautiful music box i mean it doesn't really sound like a nightingale it almost sounds like weird words oh well says nancy the work was perfect otherwise who are we to criticize the royal treasure so now nancy does some detective work and tracks down francis Baum. she takes the little bit she remembers from his business card which was like Oof, street and oop. she finds his old place of employment where he worked for like two weeks. On Ulken at Earth Street. The employer knows where he lived at that time. He no longer lives there. But that lady knows where he used to do his laundry. Mm -hmm. They tell her his current address. She goes to his current address. He's not home. So she leaves him a nice note. Nobody keeps things secret in River Heights. I always leave a forwarding address with my uh, launderer. Bess and George are teasing Nancy and find it very humorous that the landlady at his current address thinks she is romantically interested in him. The landlady makes it clear to Nancy, this guy, I don't know that I trust him. Another clue that drops into Nancy's lap as she searches for Francis Baum. She passes an apartment where she hears two men fighting. This is the building that she believes the pickpocket had ran into uh, when she first saw him. They're yelling at each other. Crime argument. Like, you know, it's, it's all vague stuff about crime. But that's good enough for Bess and George to run to get the police. Nancy tiptoes into the apartment building. But at that moment, the man who was arguing walks out and sees her and runs at her angrily. It's the pickpocket. I loved that she hid right away because she's like, obviously he knows I heard his conversation. Yeah, if he ran at me angrily, it's because he knows I heard what he said. <laughs> Nancy ducks into a telephone booth to protect herself. And the man, cleverly, I have to say, puts a wooden wedge in the door so she can't get out. There, says the pickpocket. How do you like that? She doesn't. She... <laughs> 
has no change to call for help, so she considers breaking the window with her with her heel. I feel like nine one one calls are free from a payphone, but no, break the payphone glass with your heel. Also, to be clear, she knows she's going to be rescued. She knows that Bess and George are bringing the police back. She only wants to break out so that she can catch the pickpocket. She just loves drama. I mean, no doubt the pickpocket is not nearby anymore. Luckily, Bess and George show up to let her out of the phone booth. Nancy, on her way home, runs into none other than Mrs. Helen Corning Archer. She's back! She has been on a long honeymoon with her husband, Jim Archer. You know he's in the oil business. Isn't he in Europe for oil? Yeah, they they toured all of Europe. And as a souvenir, Helen brought back with her a foreign girl (laughs) named Catherine. That's a beautiful souvenir. Not only is Catherine lovely, of Mm, course, mm -hmm. she's a talented fashion designer. And Helen is going to set her up with a shop and they are going to sell dresses. She's so gracious about it. Oh, I wish you would not give me money. Oh, you'll pay us back. It'll be fine. This is how Nancy becomes involved in a fashion show. Becomes a fashion model to model Catherine's new dresses. In the process of being fitted for these dresses, she's humming the Nightingale song or singing it. And Catherine's like, hmm, those words sound familiar to me. Can you do it again? Nancy must be doing gibberish that kind of sounds like this foreign language because Catherine's like, hmm, don't know what that says, but it does sound like my language. First of all, the fact that Nancy was so elegantly humming that she could tell that it was words. (laughs) Secondly, that like, what would, like, if someone was like, what, what's, what is it you're singing? And I was like, abadoob, what up, bub? Like, what would you have to say for me to be like, hmm, that does sound like English, mm-hmm. but it's not real words. Nancy has the brilliant idea of introducing Catherine to Madame Alexandra because they're both foreigners. and <laughs> They got a lot in common. She, she knows Madame so well now she can invite people to her house, obviously. And it turns out they're from the exact same country. Small but world. Wouldn't you know it? Literally. Madame lets Catherine hear the Nightingale song and Catherine's like, Now I recognize it. It's clue in a jewel box. There must be a clue in a jewel box. I still am fascinated by words that are both legible enough for her to 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 hear but so hidden that the queen herself doesn't hear them the nightingale does not sing very well it's not a very good music box (laughs) yes uh catherine tells nancy of the clue in the jewel box saying the people of my native land have many secrets like is it just cultural for you to not tell people things what does that mean i mean i guess they have a lot of hidden compartments in their boxes for years my country didn't exist but we didn't tell anyone even in this like much less stereotyped and much more acceptable immigrant, it is still made clear that this this person's a little sus. Well, as Nancy uh, sits at home being ADHD, Hannah says to her, Nancy, if you can descend to earth for a moment, I wish you'd go to the soda shop. Clearly getting in uh, Hannah's way. Nancy says, glad to. I thought it was interesting that instead of making the ice cream this time, Hannah's like, go get it for me. As Nancy leaves the house though, she passes her father's study it's a creepy picture and what does she see there but a man sitting across from carson holding a gun on him you'll be sorry says the man if you don't pay my price nancy jumps into action picking up a large rock from the garden and throwing it at the gun (laughs) 
knocking it from his hand. Such a bad idea. But it works. And she grabs it from the ground and hands it to Carson. Ha ha, says Nancy. Well, this is when we find out. Carson was in no danger, you foolish girl. The man didn't say, you'll be sorry if you don't pay my price. He said, you'll be sorry if you don't pay my price for this brand new gun I'd like to sell you. Rare collector pearl handled. It's not even loaded. Mr. Drew opens the chamber to show it to Nancy. Mm. But Dad, says Nancy, this is the pickpocket that I saw earlier. No, Nancy, you paranoid freak. (laughs) This is the man who looks like the man. He's come to thank you. For clearing his name. Mm. I have an idea. Mr. Dorant says, I'm mistaken for this pickpocket all the dig dang time. What if we establish a code so that when I see you, you can know I'm not the pickpocket? Hmm, says Nancy to herself. That's not a weird thing to say. Let's do it. So they establish the white handkerchief code, which is that if Mr. Doran sees Nancy and she's looking at him like he might be a pickpocket, he'll wave a white handkerchief to show who he is. This is going to come up a lot. Nancy lives in a reality where at one point there was a convincing twin of her walking around River Heights and people just bought that. So if only at that time she had thought of the white handkerchief code. (laughs) Just take out an ad in the newspaper. Hey, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So the next guest that shows up at Nancy Drew's door is Rudy, the German shepherd, who is being very mean. Luckily, right behind him is Francis Baum. The German shepherd. He has gotten Nancy's note and he's here to ask why she left a note. Francis shows up with just this weird attitude. And his dog, he would eat Togo up. This dog is mean. Big, mean German shepherd. And he always... Like, Francis Baum is not good at taking care of this dog and pretty much just, like, foists him off on the nearest person whenever he can. Francis Baum is one of those he's friendly, just let him smell you guys Mm -hmm. when the dog is, like, snarling and barking and nipping at your ankles. He's He won't, he doesn't bite. He's just playing. There's several times that Nancy wants to call the dog warden. The dog warden. But she waits until he bites half of the pants off of the mailman. We've had a mini-sode, check it out, about Togo and about dogs and attitudes towards dogs in the past in America. And I don't know where in history this lies, but Nancy specifies that Rudy is being put under like two weeks of observation. Mm -hmm. So this has to be far later than an earlier time when they would have just shot the dog. For no reason, really, Nancy doesn't trust Francis Baum from the get-go. Probably because he has a mean dog. And it's also his like very familiar and casual attitude he really rolls up with a hey buddy good to know you what's going on biggity boo i feel like francis ball might also think nancy has romantic interest in him this girl really wanted to meet me boo boo ba ba <laughs> yes anyways for whatever reason nancy's like nope you gotta prove you're the boy in this photograph yeah he just doesn't have the regal bearing it is really what it comes down to so the next day he comes back with proof a letter from the nurse who who brought him to america and a little toy lamb from with his a childhood jewel encrusted collar madame alexandra starts crying when she sees this lamb it's clearly the prince 
grandson's stuff, right? It's the lamb. It's the lamb. Uh, the Drews still don't like him. He's inconsiderate. He has bad manners. No good. But they're like, well, we have no choice. He is the son. Nancy says, Mrs. Alexandra, why don't you, like, hide your expensive stuff? You know. No need. He's my grandson. It'll be fine. Again, the implication being, like, blood, right, like, is thicker than environment. Like, if this is my grandson, he would not commit a crime. Not my grandson. Right. And Nancy, of course, is like, oh, no, 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 no. I also believe that rich people's kids never do bad things. Don't get me wrong, Mrs. Alexandra, but what if this isn't your son? What if he's an imposter from poverty? (laughs) She also mentions, oh yeah, he has a large dog. And Madame is very very afraid. So Nancy signs up for another job and says, oh, don't worry, I'll make sure it stays away from you. Oh, more than that, she says, I'm sure I can convince him to give it up. Yeah, no more dog. A rich lady's like, come live in my rich home you can take it or leave it you can be like i will keep my dog and continue to live in my small apartment that i I was just happy in before keep the dog obviously who what kind of a monster but he doesn't he's like no i'll keep it at the drew's house (laughs) while i live in my grandma's house as time goes on everybody just thinks that this guy is gonna disappoint his grandmother he's just uncouth Mm -hmm. when he does finally meet mrs alexandra it is not a success but mrs alexandra shows no sign of being disappointed they think she probably is he's not dressed for dinner he doesn't use table manners he sits before the ladies he's bad conversationalist too oh yeah anna does not like him she's like this guy no i don't like him bad news unfortunately madame likes him he moves in the drews have to call him in the middle of the night to come get his dog because the dog won't let them into their house. Carson is really mad about this. Not happy. Carson liked it being his house. He has the nerve to be like, why'd you have to call me? Just take care of my dog. Then he pops the dog into a taxi and leaves. Carson's like, I never want to see that guy again. Luckily, that mystery is solved. Yes. Now Nancy is back to birthday shopping. Catherine is regretting that she wants Nancy to wear a certain headdress, but Americans don't have it. She's like, in my country, this thing's on every corner. You can you can buy it at the Dollar Tree. But here, nowhere to be found. So Nancy mentions this to Mr. Faber, who's like, oh, you could borrow a really nice one from a former queen we know. As Nancy walks out, she sees a bushy-haired man standing in the corner looking at a piece. I wonder if he was listening to us, Nancy thinks. <laughs> So she walks to Mrs. Alexandra's. She gets this tiara. Jewel encrusted. Beautiful. Now for safety, they put it in a paper bag. As she walks home with it, she's daydreaming and lo and behold, a man bumps into her. Now, you and I know in a town full of pickpocket, that could be a problem. But just as this man might even steal from her, a car pulls up. And guess who's in it waving his white hanky? Mr. Dorrance. Her old friend. That's what he says. He says, hey, Nancy, it's me, your old buddy, Mr. Dorrance. (laughs) You want to ride home? (laughs) Nancy lies again and says she never accepts rides from people she doesn't know very well. Which has not proven to be true in our history of Nancy, but... (laughs) 
nevertheless, she's like, this guy is, I don't, I don't want any part of him. So she picks up her paper bag, which she dropped with a tiara in it. And she walks home. Well, lo and behold, a switcheroo has occurred because when she takes the tiara out of the paper bag, it's a rock. A dirty old rock. (laughs) Not even a nice rock like a diamond. (laughs) Luckily, Anna pulled an accidental switcheroo and it wasn't the real tiara. Anna had given her the replica tiara that Faber had gotten for Miss Alexandra before he found the real tiara. Now they want her to take the real one and she's like, no, 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 no. And they're like, we'll double, but we'll double bag it. We'll put it in two paper bags. She says, no, I'll come back for it on the night of the show. Which is a better idea to begin And I'll bring with. a bodyguard. Yes. Who might that bodyguard be that she implies? Oh, whoever's most expendable. Bess and George, probably. I think Ned, because her eyes twinkle when she talks of him. Doesn't it turn out to be Bess and George, though? I don't think it turns out to be anybody, but I don't remember. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Ned does show up at her door. He's good looking as general. He's still broad shouldered like his father, but now he's deeply tanned as well. He says, He's been spending time in Florida. Ned says, I was just in the neighborhood. No reason. Do you want to go on a date tonight? Nancy says, I cannot. I have a date tonight. He's like, well, how about tomorrow night? I cannot. I have a dinner at Miss Alexandra's tomorrow night. This is when we find out Ned has been significantly downgraded from exclusive boyfriend. Ned Nickerson and Nancy were friends of long standing. They enjoyed the same things. Mysteries, I assume. Yeah, what else could it be? <laughs> and freak and frequently went together to parties. Though she had many other admirers, Nancy admitted to herself that he was her favorite. So far from being exclusive now, she's just like, I'll go on a date. But it's really weird because Ned is not jealous about the date. He's jealous that she's having dinner the next night with a prince, with a bunch of other people there. So I just think this book doesn't know what to do with Ned. Just skips to the next afternoon at the carnival with Ned. Everything Ned says from fortune telling to the roller coaster is at the carnival. I enjoyed the roller coaster ride where Nancy Drew clung tightly to Ned and Ned really liked that. He liked it a lot. He liked it so much he's like, let's go again. And Nancy's like, hmm, how about the Ferris wheel? I've clung enough. Yeah. <laughs> Ending their day of frivolity on the Ferris wheel. Well, if the roller coaster seemed dangerous, this Ferris wheel will show you something. They get stuck on the Ferris wheel <gasps> at the top. And Nancy's like, oh, it won't be long. We'll enjoy the view. Three hours later. That is like, you don't like this view anymore, do you? And Nancy's getting kind of grumpy. She's going to be late for her dinner with Miss Alexandra. They finally get the Ferris wheel working again, but something's wrong. It like spins them at high speeds. All the way around and gets stuck with them at the top again. (laughs) This is when Nancy saves her first child of the book. This child is just so scared and panicky that she jumps up, takes off her safety bar, and she's like, I'm getting off. I don't care. And Nancy's like, no, don't do that. It's a long ways down. Like, you don't want to do that. The kid's like, all right. It's for this reason she ends up in the newspaper. And Nancy's very worried that people are going to think this is gimmicky, like just trying to advertise Catherine's dress somehow, I guess. Yeah, they're going to know I'm a fashion model and think I save children for the prestige. Hannah's like, nobody who 
who knows you will think that. Also, like, no one who doesn't know you will put this together. As a side note, Nancy does notice that the pickpocket is out in the crowd at the carnival picking pockets. On her way out, Ned asks her to not pay too much attention to the prince. It's a mystery, Ned. I'm going to pay a lot of attention. Francis Baum, who is now going by Michael and calling himself the prince regularly, hits on Nancy many times and Catherine as well. Even saying to Nancy, come on, do it for my, go out with me for my grandmother's sake. That's how to get the ladies, honestly. The prince goes so far as to invite himself on a boat trip. Helen and Jim Archer, back in town, throw a big picnic, and they're all leaving on boats when Michael, the prince, runs up. Out of nowhere, says, I was just walking my dog, and I saw you guys. Let me in the boat, huh? Booty ba bam Ned's like, well, your dog can't come. Yes, he can. Move over. <laughs> on the way to, I guess, the place they're landing for the picnic, we meet Mr. Ellington. This boat drives by. Now, first of all, Francis Baum hides his face. That's sus. Suddenly, Bess notices that Nancy's not in the boat anymore. She must have fallen overboard. Not so. The little boy in the other boat fell overboard, and Nancy dove in after him to mm. save him. The little boy is Mr. Ellington's landlord's son, who he's just, like, hanging out with. It doesn't matter. The point is, Nancy has ingratiated herself with Mr. Ellington, a local artist who has interest in Catherine as an artist as well. Richard Ellington, a sad young man, could help Catherine's career. He's sad, so he's not a criminal. Exactly. Ned and Nancy's friends are not impressed with Michael the Prince. He does not use any manners on the picnic and constantly gets in everyone's business. Takes their sandwiches. Feeds them to his dog. So Ned comes up with a perfect plan for taking care of it. He asks Michael to grab something from the boats, which he has actually moved to the other side of the island. While Michael is gone, he says to everyone, let's leave. It's kind of a mean-spirited teenage thing to do. Yep. <laughs> like, I cringed at this a little bit. They left him on an island without boats. <laughs> He, he invited himself to the party, but the whole party left. And listen, I get that he's supposed to be the bad guy, but this was friggin' mean. He was telling them to, like, wait on him because he was a prince and right. do anything he said because he was a prince. Right. So, like, someone talked to him. Like, what no one ever did is say, Michael, the way you're acting is actually really making us uncomfortable. I mean, I do want to say, I believe this man is like 30 and they are 18 year olds probably making it not just this creepy rude guy who has invited himself on your trip but also a creepy 30 year old who is hitting on all the ladies and depending on the degree to which he was being creepy with the ladies which we know he was at least being creepy with nancy and Catherine, i feel a lot less bad about leaving him on an island fair enough but either way, it did seem pretty out of character. It seemed like Ned might have been motivated a bit by jealousy. Probably. And Nancy... Nancy's, Nancy really likes rude guys. Nancy barely went along with it, right? He just wanted to ride off the island. I mean, he does get left with no boats, and they also know he can't swim. Obviously, Michael is not pleased about this turn of events and threatens Nancy that she can never return to the house after this. Carson says, putting other people to a lot of trouble is any 
anything but princely. Really? Really? Isn't that everything? Like, isn't that what royalty does? Mostly what a prince is. Yeah. I, I understand an argument that's like, we don't believe in royalty here in America. That's a good argument, right? No, but this is more like that guy on TikTok who's like, oh, the rich are assholes, but the really rich are good to people. Mm. And it's like, that's, that's, a, that's mythologizing all of this. Also, as they're having this discussion, the father-daughter stuff remains like and probably becomes the creepiest i've seen it as nancy snuggled close to her father if some of the other creepy stuff hadn't happened it's like oh okay she snuggled close to her father but you know just a history of weirdness nancy realizes for the first time in her life she regrets having solved a mystery she hates francis she hates this new michael we find out he is selling off mrs alexandra's belongings giving her some of the money but keeping more than he tells her yeah nancy drew does a detective work to get receipts from all the pawn shops he's been to and finds that he's skimming off the top she's tipped off by anna who still hates him he does things like break a very antique bowl and just be cavalier about it i'll get you another bowl grandma anna and madame are on tense terms at this point because anna clearly doesn't like her grandson nancy cheers madame up by being snoopy and saying you want to show me that jewel box mr favor mentioned now you mentioned earlier this isn't actually a jewel box so it's like a statue of of a footman it's jacket comes off and it opens up i in my head it was like a nutcracker or something i imagine the same yeah, thing a nutcracker because right? what else is like big enough to be both a jewel box and a statue mm-hmm. but yeah it's it contains like four or five treasures and apparently because it's kind of a puzzle box to get it open at all she was able to get it through customs when she fled the country without them thinking that it was a jewel box because a she was dressed like a, a poverty person and B, it's almost impossible to open. It looks like a toy as well, they specify. Nancy suspects that if it's secret to open one way, it may be secret to open another. And so she examines this whole footman for a way to open him up that will reveal the clue in the jewel box, but is unsuccessful. Nancy had mentioned earlier, like, no, Mrs. Alexandra's rich. Like, where'd she get all her stuff? And she got it all with these jewels, these gems that Mm -hmm. she stuffed into to this footman. Nancy later does figure out how to open the jewel box. Finds the clue in the jewel box, which is hidden in the boot. It's a bit of scrawl on a little piece of notebook paper. Nancy reads it and says, of course! And she doesn't tell us what it says. Nancy at first does not read it, even though she really wants to. That's right. She's polite enough to hand it to Miss Alexandra. So now Nancy knows something you don't know, and you won't find out for a little bit. Meanwhile, Nancy keeps bumping into Mr. Dorrance and the pickpocket. Just like to to put this in quick terms, there are like four times where Nancy's close to a picketing pocketing, chases the guy, and acts, oops, it's Mr. Dorrance. He, the, the pickpocket runs one way. She goes that way and she thinks she's following him, but then he waves a white handkerchief. Oh, I must have gotten confused. That's Mr. Dorrance. At the fashion show, I see a pickpocket. I'm gonna run after him. Oh, no, he waves a white handkerchief. That's Mr. Dorrance the whole time. Uh, this is never strange to Nancy at all. She misses the one big thing that you need to know if you're gonna do sleuthing. What if twins? Because... (laughs) 
obviously, to all of us, they're in cahoots. Yeah. It takes them accidentally both waving a white handkerchief at her within, like, two minutes of each other for her to be like, hmm, I wonder if they're in cahoots or if he can teleport. It's a little bit uncanny how much they show up in the same spot. I'm starting to wonder. And yes, they're in cahoots. But even though she's having these suspicions, she still has the police release Mr. Dorrance. Well, at that point, it was merely odd. The interesting thing throughout this book is how close to the police Nancy is. Buddy buddy with them. Apparently, Chief McGinnis jokes that Nancy is a member of his staff. At one point saying, hey, we got a crime you could solve if you've got time. So Nancy is a fashion model. I personally think a complete failure. Well, she treats fashion the same way she treats theater. So she shows up the first time and she doesn't do so bad. It's not her fault she trips down the stairs into Richard Ellington's arms. Uh, A charged moment. There was a broken stair. Yeah. Uh, She's devastated. Oh, I ruined your fashion show. I'm so sorry. Everyone knew it wasn't your fault. They even had to fix that stair in the intermission. You know, it was Nancy's fault. She ruined Catherine's dress. So she sees the pickpocket. So in Catherine's royalty-inspired full regalia gown. She spent weeks on. Her just, whole future of her career rests Just on like dress. she did when she was in that in that play. Oh, don't you know, Catherine? She's an amateur detective. She bolts out the door chasing this pickpocket. The pickpocket specifically threw barbed wire. Where'd he get it? I don't know. In Nancy's path. Probably from his pockets. <laughs> uh, and she's just like, ah, she just rips through it. To be fair, she's probably well protected by the dress. Until she finally gets close enough to the pickpocket for him to be like, oh no, here's a white handkerchief. I'm Mr. Dorrance. And it's only then how strange she realizes how much she's ruined this dress. It's in tatters. I swear she was more upset about tripping down that stair than having ruined this entire dress. Well, the stair wasn't a mystery. Catherine is devastated. Nancy's just like, you can fix it, right? No, can't you just sew a new one? Just sew it up. Catherine's get, like, get um, no, I spent weeks on this. But Helen and Nancy convince her they will both help. They'll work through the night and she can save parts of the dress and just redo parts. So they spend like two hours sewing for her. Then they realize, oh, we're going to catch up. Let's finish it in the morning. Yeah, I guess it's fine. And it is. She, in fact, wins the fashion show. By unanimous vote and by this time we pretty much it's pretty much implied that Catherine and mr ellington are in love mm-hmm. unfortunately they all go to the after party richard ellington is supposed to join them in fact he throws the after party for them it's a hay rack ride he doesn't show up Mm-mm. but and, you know who does yeah, show up francis Baum. with some guy who nancy notes is bushy haired well, it's the same guy same guy who may have heard her talking about the tiara in the Faber shop. Same guy who picked up her bag from the ground. Nancy suspects they're just making an alibi. They call Ellington's place of residence. Oh, he left an hour ago. Nobody can figure out where Ellington is. In the meantime, Nancy's like, hey, Ned, you know how you like tackling people? She, she says, I've got a good plan. <laughs> Nancy's got a plan to uncover Francis's identity thievery. For she feels he is not the true prince. Not Michael? And wait till you hear this plan because it's pretty clever. <laughs> I believe she says to the to the boys who are there, because obviously it's going to be Ned and Dave and Bert and I think someone named Bob. She says, how are you at kidnapping? Yeah. And they're like, we're aces at it. <laughs> Anything for you, Nancy. 
So, yeah, Nancy's plan is just for them to basically tackle and hoist into the air Francis. Once they have him tackled, Nancy's like, take off his shoes! And they do. And at that point, Nancy says, aha, you are not the prince. What? She gets out the glass heel and she tries to put it on him. (laughs) No, that's not it. But there is a lot of people in royalty who are discovered by their feet. This is what we find out is that boot revealed that the real prince has something on his foot that should indicate he's the prince. Is it a birthmark? No, it's creepier. We later find out it's a scar in the shape of an A. Where a doctor made an incision as a baby. He cut an A into his foot to show who he was. Specifically. Oof. Yes. Now, we should mention one small thing, which happens to Nancy so often that we barely even thought to mention it. The previous night, a couple of men in masks had jumped out at her at her home. Oh, yeah. Tried to rough her up and said, stop being a a detective. They weren't even specific about it. Just like, stop sleuthing. And then they got chased off. It's clear now to the criminal organization that they can't stop Nancy Drew, which is why Francis had to make an alibi for tonight. Nancy figures that out, though. She knows there's an alibi. She says, Where there's an alibi, there's a crime. Let's check up on Mrs. Alexandra. Well, they drive all the way over there. No one answers the door. They ring the doorbell as they say, loud enough to wake anyone up. Nothing. So finally, I think Dave crawls through the dog door. It just (laughs) occurred to me that they don't even like dogs. They get in and they find Anna tied up and gagged and unconscious as well as Miss Alexandra. Everything's stolen. The place ransacked. Entirely ransacked. The only thing left behind is the furniture. So they call the police. The doctor gets there. He says, we must get this woman to the hospital. They both end up in the hospital, Anna and Mrs. Alexandra. Actually ends up taking Anna longer to recover than Mrs. Alexandra. I have to imagine it's because they beat up an old woman slightly less, which is good. Meanwhile, Ellington is still missing. Never showed up. His home has been called. He never came home. He left for the event. But where is he now? Nancy suspects somebody must have stopped his car. So the gang goes on the search for Mr. Ellington in the area between his home and the Hayrack Ride party. They finally find his car and signs of a struggle. Nancy, an expert tracker, tracks the struggle to a boathouse. An old boathouse. Nancy Drew Staple, where she hears soft cries for help from inside. It's Richard Ellington! Now at this point, the police have caught and arrested, with Nancy's help, the two pickpocketers and Francis, who all had been working together as one big crime family. But the one man who's missing is the bushy-haired man who is also connected. In these criminal organizations, there's also just like extra people in these Nancy Drew books. Well, he pops out and is like, don't get any closer or I'll hurt you. Luckily, Ned finally gets to tackle someone. (laughs) Mr. Torrance specifically was like, I thought you'd never figure it out. Which is just such a diss on Nancy. And to be fair, it took her longer than it should have. It really did. The bushy-haired man is apprehended, and Mr. Ellington has something on his foot. It's an incision in the shape of an A. Well, not, it's not an incision anymore. It's now a scar. Yeah, Nancy talks with him long enough to figure out, I think you're the prince. Because she learned from the criminals that they stole the lamb and the nurse's note from an art portfolio you know who has art portfolios artists (laughs) and 
And yeah, they're, they're both being secretive about this, but we know what's going on. And Richard Ellington's like, well, I have something to ask Catherine first. Let's have a big reveal party later. Turns out Mr. Ellington, who was once Michael, had his name changed to Francis Baum. That was real. That was a name taken by the criminal whose name was something else. It doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. But then also changed his own name a second time. Sometimes people change their names for fun. Especially when they're missing. <laughs> that happens three times in this man's life. Richard Ellington shows up to the party with Catherine on his arm. And a ring on her finger. And they're like, guess what, Mrs. Alexandra? This is your son. And Mrs. Alexandra's like, you can't trick me twice, Nancy Drew. She is very skeptical. He has memories of the palace. He can speak the native language and that finally convinces her. I'd like to add that his memory of the palace was being terrible of something she refers to as the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> yes. A carnival palace? I don't know. And best of all, Nancy reveals that he has the telltale scar on his foot. So Mrs. Alexander's like, fine, fine. Richard's like, I don't want to go by Michael. She's like, great. Yeah. I never want to hear that name again. I now hate that name. Because it reminds me of the imposter. I loved this little note that Richard Ellington was embarrassed to have a toy lamb, but he kept it around because he knew he was supposed to, to like identify himself later. He was embarrassed to keep it in his room, so he kept it in his portfolio. Now, I don't know... <laughs> That's how it got stolen. Yeah, I don't know how portfolios work that well, but I do know stuffed animals are, like, thick. I feel like they just needed to, like, justify why his lamb would be in an art portfolio. Or just with him on the bus. You could like, just put like, it in your safe box or, like, a bank deposit box, Richard Ellington. It's like the authors are like, okay, we've got two choices. Either he just carries it everywhere, and when he sees it, he says, Lammy! <laughs> Or we go opposite and he's like, oh, I don't care about that friggin' thing. I just carry it as an ID. Oh yeah, this surprise reveal party is actually a very special celebration. Yeah, here's the thing. Royalty, marriage, that's all fine. But dig dang it, it's Carson Drew's birthday. Oh, and that's what this is boy. all about. Happy birthday, Carson. Mr. Faber brings out a distinguished, non-replica gentleman's box from the old country because Mr. Drew deserves no less. Needless to say, Mr. Drew loves it. To Mr. Drew, Faber says, it will now be in the home of the finest, most unselfish people I have ever met. Which, uh, Nancy and accept this compliment with humility. As Mr. Carson toys with this box, he finds in it a secret compartment containing the answer to the final mystery you forgot we even had. <laughs> How do you make unbreakable enamel? The recipe is in this box. They have a brief argument about who should get the proceeds from producing this enamel. Barely even the proceeds. Who just owns the recipe? Because it's not like, oh, you know, who's going to sell it? It's like, no, the recipe's yours. The recipe, as if we're just going to make it ourselves in our home. But yes, it goes to Mr. Faber, who says when he gets the proceeds, they're going to go to the very charitable organization that Mr. Drew had been planning on giving his money to. Wow. Well, I mean, it's everything I ever wanted from a book. <laughs> 
The only thing we end up wondering more is will Nancy ever have this much fun again? In the mystery in the attic, I want to say? Secret of the old attic. Which feels like it's been already at least two of the books. Here's the question I'm going to have to ask in that book. Is the attic older than the house itself? What makes the (gasps) attic old? Ooh. Why is it an old attic? Shouldn't the whole house be the same age? <laughs> they moved it from the old world. <laughs> brought it over on ship. Well, I don't know how they say it in the old country, but right around these parts, we say, I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Go, Go Wildcats! Wild we might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon (laughs) you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it instagram at river heights radio twitter at river heights fm river heights radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube uh, and give us a review or five stars on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours 